0: Hello and welcome to Truth to Power on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am your co-host Scott Raven, joined by VJR R Nathan. VJ, how are you doing today? One more time, VJ. How how are you today? I didn't quite hear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good. Doing well. Calling in from Maryland. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Nice. Uh, excited for our oh, guest yeah. today, I believe. We've got Pamela Durand, uh, all the way in uh, Stratford, Ontario.
1: Welcome. So Pamela Jane Durand is an internationally acclaimed singer-songwriter, poet, speaker, and sound alchemist. Weaving her heart-opening songs and tone poems, Pamela is devoted to uplifting humanity and raising consciousness with her unique Voicing divine feminine concerts and sound alchemy gatherings. Pamela's wisdom teachings are offered through songs and sacred sounds that allow <laughs> us to quiet the mind and experience the holy beauty of our soul. She is a passionate advocate for peace, social justice, and the healing arts. Traveling widely, she has performed at festivals across Canada, the US, England, France, Sweden, India, and Costa Rica. She's written original songs and poems, for many international initiatives, including the Thousand Goddesses, and um, gathering in Washington, D.C. and the March for All Our Lives. The March for Our Lives. Pamela has had the honor of performing her original music at keynote talks, given by Deepak Chopra, Brian Katie, um Bruce Lipton, and Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, she's currently uh, working on publishing her first book of poetry, entitled Wild Echo. Welcome, Pamela.
2: Thank you. Good morning, VJ. And Scott. And all yes, the listeners. Morning. Right on.
1: <clears throat> so uh why don't we start the conversation off about the word alchemy <clears throat> and how like um you know how it's used, how you <clears throat> understand it, and how, how it can be sound alchemy can be <clears throat> put in, in relationship to sound healing or a sound healer.
2: Sure, yes. Yeah. So in the scientific historical sense, uh, alchemy was used to turn dross into gold. Um, and I think of alchemy being, uh, in this time on the planet, um, the magic and the mystery that we are undergoing together as a human population, um, shifting, I think, in the most, um, primordial and and the basic sense of well it's not basic it's it is this the the call of our times to shift from the density of fear and separation into the divinity of love and unity and compassion beauty and all of the virtues and values of the divine feminine so to me alchemy is exciting it's the transmutation of the lower states of the subconscious into bringing into the light, all that has been in the shadow. And as far as the alchemy, um, you know, I was trained as a sound practitioner in sound healing over 15 years ago. And uh, most of the people that I trained with were either sound healers or sound practitioners. And I was always drawn to the word alchemy because Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm a word girl and I love poetry and I love words that, that actually carry kind of an onomatopoeia of the experience. And with sound alchemy, um, it is an experiential. Well, this is, this is what I say when somebody asks, what is, asks me, what is sound alchemy? I say that sound offers a vibrational bridge to one's undefended heart. So for me, Sound Alchemy is an invitation to allow the mind to quiet and to drop into the body, into the heart, and to really begin to feel the undercurrent of beyond the stories and the constriction in the mind – to really allow the body to speak and to lo- to allow the heart to open because we are so defended in our world so so alchemy to me is um the amazing transformation from the darkness of and f- of fear and density into the open field of um uh, of love and expansion and mm-hmm. beauty
0: love that was feeling a sense of calm just as you were uh, describing all of that um, alchemy, mm. alchemy of words and and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I noticed. You know, you're from Stratford, uh, Ontario, and could you speak just a little bit about the, what is the connection to, to Shakespeare? Uh, and um, yeah, <clears throat> in in that place, and and maybe just how some of uh, I, you you grew up there, I, I imagine as well.
2: No, I actually oh, didn't. Okay. Um, I yeah, no, I'm from the prairies. I'm from Saskatchewan, ah, okay. Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm from out west. Um, but. In my in my first ten years of my career, I graduated with a degree in, in uh, English and drama, and traveled coast to coast in Canada mm. from Charlotte the Char- Charlottetown Festival to Vancouver and all points in between doing theater for the first decade of my life. And when I was twenty eight, twenty I guess I was not quite twenty nine. My daughter was six weeks old, and I uh, my agent sent me out or an audition for the Stratford Festival, which is in Stratford, Ontario, uh, about an hour and a half southwest of Toronto. And uh, yeah, my daughter was a wee babe and off I went and um, something had cracked open in me with the birth of my daughter. Um, I just have to say that it was a, a deepening of my voice and a deepening of my... my artistry and so i all i can say is i went off to this audition Mm -hmm. i was living in toronto at the time and i just felt my voice soar to heights that i had never felt before and here i had this little tiny baby (laughs) i was pretty tired um but i got the gig so my husband and i packed up our apartment in toronto we thought temporarily uh i moved to stratford for this season i was actually doing um uh, a Gilbert and Sullivan HMS Pinafore. So I was singing light opera, uh, which was a big kind of stretch for me because I had sung a lot of different styles, but mostly I was a I was a pop singer. I had trained uh, operatically, so this was kind of like the you know at the top end of my game to be coming to the Stratford Festival, which is known uh, worldwide as as you know um, it's it's in North America the a prominent repertory theater for Shakespeare and uh, musicals and new works, Canadian works, and so yeah. Here I we moved here and we thought for one year, and uh, we actually bought a house at the end of the season. Which there was um, there was always this uh, thought that if an actor bought a house in Stratford, you never work here again. <laughs> but uh, I. I worked – I had uh, four seasons out of six years uh, for the next few years, and I actually three years later after my first season was doing Pirates of Penzance and uh, got pregnant with my son just weeks before the 38-week season. And so I was treading the boards uh, for 30 weeks with my little pirate on board. I was (laughs) pregnant on the Stratford Festival stage, so so that was fun too. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh,
1: So um – yeah I think it's really amazing when you talk about the like just returning to the sound and returning to the performance of um aligning with the divine feminine and um you know since the sound of hearing as we were saying as you're saying in your website um is the first one of the first uh senses that are developed in the last to leave us, Yes. so kind of thinking about how we can. Use that sense for alignment with love and divine feminine. You know, it's amazing how many people have these like, you know, like one in twenty people have like auditory hallucinations. So, so like as I study psychology, I'm like realizing some many people have these problems with sound and with the hearing. But you know, it's coming out of a different place than what sound alchemy is coming out of the place of love, I think. And and talking a little bit about that and how love fits into it and divine feminine and how those different moving pieces work together
2: right and as you say this vj i'm reminded of uh the thought that um i'm thinking of carolyn mace spiritual madness and she says that genius and madness are just a breath away from each other and when you talk about this auditory hallucination or the drawing down of the divinity of sound to transform our deep our deepest shadow, or that which ails us. Um, You know, I think that it's really a a distinct conversation for our times right now, because there is so much chaos and conflict and disturbance in our world right now. And so many of the scientists and psychics of the world predicted, you know, Edgar Cayce, the psychic, predicted that uh, sound would be the medicine of the future. Um, Rudolf Steiner said, he predicted that pure tones would be used for healing before the end of this century, his Mm -hmm. century, and I love that George Gershwin once wrote that music sets up a certain vibration which results in a physical reaction. So, throughout history, um, Pythagoras used to take people into the Temple of Asclepius when they had what he called humors of the mind, and they would lay down and receive these different instruments, stringed instruments. To restore harmony in the body and the mind, so i I really, truly feel and know that we are dis- we are suffering from the disease of disconnect right now on the planet, and we have for decades but really particularly in the past several years, because we have all. Um, been quarantined and, and, uh, separated from community and our regular routines and the ways of interacting with each other. So there, you know, there has been such a preponderance of depression and anxiety and ways that people are feeling a disturbance, you know, in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls. And so, you know, the way that I said that, that sound medicine, you know, music or sound, uh, Offers, offers us a vibrational bridge to our undefended heart. I say this because we are pretty clever individuals by way of our way of um, protecting ourselves, right? And the ego will always try to assert um, some kind of defense if we are feeling threatened. So I think that right now we are all, as a, as a humanity, so armored, and there's so many walls that are up. But those defenses are actually what prevent us from being able to breathe deeply and to feel. So I go back to Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who wrote the book Women Who Run With the Wolves. She writes a story about Laloba. And I bring this archetypal story to us today on your show, Truth to Power, because I believe essentially that we all carry the blueprint of healing within us. The body knows how to heal. And I believe that we carry the truth of the blueprint of who we are when we are born into this world. When we are children, we're in our naturalness. We are very free. We speak our truth. Sometimes parents don't like that so much, but we're very free and in our naturalness. And then we start to shut down. And over the past two years, we are in such um, a time of people being so shut down and so depressed and there's a languishing that's happening. So, I use sound to awaken people again to that that fire that that is that pilot light within us that is our creativity and that spirit that is that awakens to to actually speak our truth even at times when we may feel um that others may not want to hear it so in her book, women who run with the wolves uh Clarissa Pincola estes. Talks about animating that which, um, has become so broken by the world. She, she speaks about the skeleton of this wolf that is basically the archetype of humanity when we have just been downtrodden and beaten down and there's, there's no spark of life within us anymore and we look outside of ourselves um externally for validation or acceptance. And as she sits, this, this La Loba, the wolf woman, she begins to sing over the bones of this skeleton that has just lost its flesh, it's lost its animus. And as she sings like a mother would to to a crying child, she begins to animate in her heart that force of love that spins the stars, and grows the flowers in the spring, and has the capacity to reanimate us when we've gone dead. So she sings, and she sings, and as this skeleton begins to stir, all of a sudden she sees fur, and she sees flesh, and she sees the eye spark, and this wolf comes to life, and runs into the distance over the horizon, and basically, it's the wolf woman's song that has brought this creature to life. So, she says that to sing is to use the soul voice. It is to say on the breath the truth of one's power and one's need. To sing is to breathe soul over that which is ailing or in need of transformation. So when I work with someone one to one in a sound alchemy session, they lay down, I tuck them in with a blanket, I use a variety of instruments, crystal bowls, my oracle drum, buffalo drum, shakers, and I offer uh, sound medicine to bring them into this state of deep receptivity, and I do the same thing in concert when I sing songs or recite tone poems. It is to reorient the listener back into that place of the blueprint of beauty and freedom and bliss, where all of the circuits begin to light up and inform this inspiration and energy that is our naturalness. So that's what I love about sound and music. It is It bypasses the intellect. We don't have to convince ourselves. We all know that when we listen to a song that meant something to us years ago we can instantly remember that feeling so i feel like sound and music is the gateway to our open heart which is the gateway to our freedom
3: mm,
0: well said um yeah i was wondering as you were saying is is there any you think difference in how we take in sound either alone or with a group um you, you most you do one-on-one but sometimes you know you're you're in concert. Could you speak a little bit about the difference that people might experience um, taking in music or sound with lots of people or by oneself?
2: Really good question. And it's very interesting. I just wrote a post on Facebook about grief and I talked about the necessity and beauty of crying alone Hmm. Um, and also uh, the, the depth of, of, uh, crying in, in group, as in gri- crying together. I was writing about Keening in the Celtic traditions and how crying together, uh, is a different experience altogether. And I think that that example of crying together or experiencing sound together definitely there is a difference and each one, um, has a benefit. Uh, I'm thinking about when a person comes to me for a one-on-one sound healing, there is definitely uh, a container that's created and an an intimacy where when they are with me one-on-one, there is something deeply sacred in that. And we can go to a place that is uh, really deep, and and personalized and individual so i think that in that intimacy there's a different arc to the sound that emerges for just that person so i think that there's a a, you know a beauty in that that's um that's unique but i also i don't want to say but and it's not um either or it's a it's a both and Hmm. that when we are together which is something that i feel i mean i have been missing the last full concert i did in public was last february of 2021 there is something really powerful when we come together in a group um you know we light each other up energetically and feed off each other and uh i think that there is something that comes in with a group energy that expands us together that i really feel like we're missing in these times of being separated. So yeah, I think they both have their 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 own unique medicine.
0: Right. As you were mentioning, you know, the crying, I think I don't know if it's the opposite or what with uh with laughter. And if we think, you know, laughing alone, people aren't as inclined to do. Um you almost sometimes <laughs> laughing happens, you know, when there's an audience yeah. around um rather than right but but it can be good you know i mean if it's just you and the tv and your favorite show you know you don't laugh right. maybe as hard um so just right kind of yeah fun. right
2: um you said you probably feel feel like a bit of a yeah a crazy one if, but, <laughs> right. but, but these times <laughs> you're right we're, we're we're laughing alone we're crying alone mm-hmm. um but and it's interesting because um we tend to laugh more easily triggered by someone who's laughing uh my experience as, uh, as someone who works in the healing arts is that people have been shut their their capacity to to cry and to feel what I'll call the um, I don't even want to call them the negative emotions because I I really believe that all emotions are, um in the arc of the human experience are beautiful and and meaningful and especially in the first world we haven't uh, been encouraged to cry, especially men. And I think this is such uh, such a tragedy, it's such a loss, because, you know, I just wrote an article about this, and I, I was reading about different cultural and ancient traditions, and like I said, the Celtic traditions, of they used to bring in a woman who they called had the gift of the sob, and they would hire her often with just a glass of whiskey to sit by the coffin. And she would begin to wail and it would invite the other people that were feeling the depth of their grief to begin to cry because oftentimes, um, it's something it's that's suppressed. And so to openly weep, I know I have a friend who's Italian. She said, Oh, we had that in our home country too. And to encourage that sound is actually to encourage. Uh, the body to liberate that frozenness of the grief that, that if we, if we keep stuffing these feelings down, that's, that is the beginning of dis ease in the body if we don't let it out.
1: Thank you. And also, um, thinking about what you, when you pick up on the idea of, um, men and, and we think about feminine, masculine, just clarifying for the audience and for ourselves that, you know, feminine, masculine are these energy centers, these principles that, men experience the feminine experience the masculine women experience both of these things and how in society thinking about in society how what the masculine represents and how we want to embrace not not push away the feminine embrace the feminine and allow it with for for both both all gender identifying people so if you could just talk a little bit about how uh that tension between the masculine and feminine how all all gender identifying people can experience that how can they experience that that polarity or uh, disrupt that polarity maybe
2: well you know it, it, thank you for that question and it 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 is my work um first of all i want to say as you so beautifully pointed out that it's this is not related to gender you know gender yeah. is becoming so much more fluid in our world and, uh, whether we are considered male, female, or a- any shades in between, uh, we all carry the masculine and feminine energies within us. And in our, in our, in our world, over the past 2000 years in the Piscean Age, we were really locked into, uh, a masculine, patriarchal energy that really devalued the feminine. And, this was such a disservice. Um, you know, there, the, we we go through these eras of um, the pendulum swinging, and I, I really feel that as we move into the age of Aquarius, the pendulum is swinging to embrace more of the qualities of the feminine. Because in this uh, va- overvaluing, the masculine energies it's it's not i mean the masculine energies are very important in in all of us um men and women children and elders because the masculine is what allows us to step into the manifestation of what we dream and desire it gets us out there it has us you know write the movie script or build the architect build the building you know it it is that that um the energy of The creation and the bringing it to, uh, bring it to the world, bringing it to market. We need the masculine energy, but it became very imbalanced. And we went into the shadow masculine where uh, the ego domination and the driver of, um, you know, the, the qualities of strength and achievement and the power over another and domination and control became the hallmark of success and began, you know, becoming the priority in our society. And I believe that in this suffering the disease of, disease of disconnect, um, we undervalued our emotional sensitivity, such as compassion, patience, nurturance, um, and our connection with each other, which, you know, any of our intuitive senses and, and loving and being in service to each other, which we think of mothering, um, these things were, you know, they haven't been valued i think they're coming more into the sphere of um of society of understanding that we risk in it, you know uh, when we uh, i'm going to put it this way as we risk opening our hearts and feeling that what is blocking us or calling us to our freedom really um dipping into that feminine nature of trusting our gut and trusting our heart then we begin to liberate um, this intuitive nature that is often the depth of our wisdom, so I, I think that our, that we are really coming into a time of moving from service to self and moving into service to others, which is really the hallmark of of the maternal and mm-hmm. the feminine nature
0: i guess i'm I'm wondering within as as comfortable as you are talking of it your own upbringing how that uh came came into play um your own were there archetypal uh mother father relationships for you growing up um or was this something you had some other watershed moments uh, later on in your life that um kind of fed into your your uh what you what you're speaking of and 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 all of this
2: yeah well you know it's interesting um I, I, you asked about my upbringing mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I had a very, um, distinctly delineated, um, relationship, uh, to the masculine and feminine with my mm-hmm. mother and father. And, and I say this, you know, um, with all, actually with a, immense respect, um, for my mother and father because it's become, roles have shifted in my generation and sure. beyond. Um, it, and and so I grew up with um, a very grounded uh, father who was the breadwinner. And my mama wa- raised five kids. And my mother didn't work outside the home. And she was, you know, the most intuitive, loving, um, bread-baking mama that there could ever be. So <laughs> I really had kind of a template of and i say that you know interestingly my parents uh, this this could actually make me cry my parents did an amazing job of finding these roles in themselves because both of my parents were orphaned my mother literally uh, her dad died when she was 9 and then her older brother who'd become the head of the family died when she was 11 and when she was 13 her mother had a stroke and was moved away So she literally at 13 moved in with her older sister, my aunt, and spent her high school years um, without a parent figure of any kind. And my father, uh, he was the the youngest child of a divorce. And when he was five, was sent away far, far away on a train with his sister to live with an aunt for a year that he never knew, came back to live with his mom. But they were both at a very young age. They didn't have Those role models around them. So I have to say that um, I had a strong mother figure of, you know what my mother's gift to me was this and I'll I'll say it was two words and it actually will make me cry. Um, My mother never had anyone to validate her and sometimes when I was uh, if I was hurt as a little kid or even in my 20s if I had some grievance or complaint she often Um, kind of invalidated me by by just trying to have me consider how lucky I was and to kind of quickly move to gratitude without really saying, you know, when I was older, this was the case. But I went back to when I was a, a really little girl. And when I was hurting, she would rock me and whisper into my ear, I know, I know, I know. I, and in those two words, I know she delivered into my poor little sobbing being this incredible, um, unconditional love. It was not, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to shift it. I'm going to change it. It's just, I'm here with you and I love you. So I felt in my mother this incredible, um, presence of the, the, the feminine. And my father really, uh, you know, he was a lawyer and he got things done and they were probably, um, a little unbalanced in that my dad could have used a little bit more of the softness and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) but, but yeah, I grew up with that very distinct energy of the masculine and feminine in my, in my parents. Um, but I've just, my whole life, I've been really drawn to the, to poetry and the arts and music and, I feel like any artist, um, just co- we come in with this blueprint of seeking the balance of beauty. And nature has the most incredible way of exemplifying uh, balancing and beauty and synchronicity. And so I just feel like it's part of my blueprint, but it's it was kind of nature and nurture for me.
1: Thank you. So also, um, you know, that reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the, the saying or the teaching that, um, you know, we can't just read medical instructions. We have to take the medicine. You know, the idea of, um, you know, kind of like reading about medical instructions are not the same as the effect the medicine has on us. Um, a lot of times Buddhist teachers will say that in regards to the, the teachings that, but in this, in this case, I think what you're illustrating, is the idea that love, the power of love, and and the c- direct communication to the energies within us, and how um, the channeling of understanding that perceived negative emotions can actually be part of that, you know, kind of a pathway to perhaps the um, the po- the perceived positive and they all you know, the yin yang they work together. Um, so thinking about channeling and how you're actually uh, how perhaps in your experience or what your experience is with Kind of challenging this, this greater, this higher consciousness, this higher, you know, um, this otherworldly, or is it otherworldly, or how is that negotiate the, um, when you talk about higher consciousness as in regards to higher and lower, um, you know, this kind of dichotomy we, we create with the the gods, or what is your, what is your thoughts on that about, um, your human beings, the human realm, and then we have like divine realm, and what is the relationship? between all these different things yeah
2: cool. <clears throat> well <clears throat> i feel like we are uh divine beings in a skin and bone suit <laughs> mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. saying that we are spiritual beings having a human having a human experience and you know i believe that each one of us is here uh To discover the treasure within and we come in whole and holy and as we move through our lives, that holiness gets covered up and all of the lower vibrating emotions that we experience through betrayals and life and relationships and guilt and shame and the illusion of separation um, begins to be like sandpaper that you know starts shakes us up and and we start to armor ourselves and shut down and and we start to believe um things about ourselves that aren't true and you know with that shame and that guilt we start to love ourselves less and we start to look outside of ourselves for people to approve of us and bring affection and so i actually believe that we are divine at at our birth and we are divine and holy and whole whether that's in body or mind or spirit that our entire life is a journey a return to recognizing that uh, divinity within us and and it's as we begin to unlayer and go oh hey look there you are that beauty um that i that i keep shaming myself for or um you know that's why i go back to um one of my favorite poems You would ask me in in some of the pre-interview questions about what was my favorite poem, and uh, one of my favorites is um, the Rumi poem, The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows. Who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And at the essence of that poem, I really truly believe that our higher self... Uh, is always orchestrating our unfolding so each torment or treasure or the shame the malice the joy that comes to us has been sent as a guide from beyond and i i believe that we are working when we begin to work in harmony with our higher self and not see you know we we welcome the treasures and the gifts and the joy, and we 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 go. Oh no, I don't want the depression. I don't want that sorrow. But I think we truly begin to uh, move into our spiritual maturity when we realize that it's actually our suffering that opens us to our greatest wisdom. So I feel like our higher self is always dropping these love bombs to wake us up. <laughs> <laughs> however it comes
1: <laughs> that's beautiful that's beautiful thank you thank you and also talking about like uh the artistic mm-hmm. disciplines moving into your artistic disciplines in music and poetry the way you're bringing this awareness is understanding and then translating it into the craft if you can talk a little bit about how you translate the craft into your experiences with the um the industry and and the kind of um you know, the architecture of these musical artistic craft, you know, disciplines. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, again, I'll go back to, um, what we resist persists. And, uh, we may think that there's a certain way we want to be in the world. Um, Well, as you're saying this, I'm just laughing. I'm laughing (laughs) because, you know, God is, God laughs when, you know, you have your plans. (laughs) And I think about the fact that, um, you know, while I was working in theater and musical theater, um, for the first years of my career, I was so busy. I was so focused and I went from festival to festival and I, you know, there was, um, there was great joy in that. And it wasn't until I had my kids that, I I had a couple of summers where I stepped away and for the first couple of years, my, uh, my ego was like, Oh my God, you know, you don't have this paycheck. You can't buy the things and you've got all this time to yourself. And (laughs) these kids are, you know, like they're great, but boy, it's a different life altogether. Right. Um, and in that space that I was given, I had always been showing up to other scripts and other songs and other scores. And it was when I was at the park, you know, kind of getting high on fresh air and these beautiful, long, languorous picnics with other mums that I started to look at the trees and my babes and see the world through their eyes. And I started to, you know, write words on a napkin at the park. And these songs and poems started to not tap on my shoulder and before i knew it within a year and a half after um my son was born uh i had a you know a whole uh, albums worth of songs and i went to find a producer and it began the trajectory of me of me doing my own uh, original albums and i i've always had a pretty good balance of the masculine and the feminine in that um I've had a a lot of fire in me to get it done and to have to have the gumption to find the producer and get the the studio and 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 sometimes in that way I guess kind of naively thinking if you build it they will come and I say this because I've been an independent artist for 20 years and um, as far as you know I didn't land a record deal which I think you know 20 years ago surely I wanted that but that wasn't um, that wasn't for me. That wasn't in the cards for me. So what I guess what I'm saying is I did probably 20 years ago want many of the things that musicians uh idealize, um, to have a record deal and to have that kind of um even as I say it, the fame and fortune. It it actually I can't even say that and and believe me. <laughs> because what I really wanted, and I'm gonna say this, it just came to me now. Shame and fortune was not my vibe. I wanted freedom and flow. I wanted freedom and flow. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do and go where I wanted to go. And it became very clear to me uh, about 18 years ago when my first record was out. <clears throat> I play the piano. I'm not a folkie. I don't play the guitar. And I was writing songs that were of kind of universal consciousness. And so when I was sending them out to folk festivals in, in Canada, I didn't get any bites. But I had a friend in London, England, who got my record and said she said, "Oh my god, you need to come to London. We have this Mind Body Spirit Festival and I think your music would would go down great there." Well, sure enough, she told me to come. <clears throat> I attended the first year, checked it out, and sent my record to one of the producers and uh <clears throat> shook her hand and I said, "You know, this is a beautiful festival, but you're you there's only one thing missing." And she said, "What?" And I said, "Well, you've got a lot of great American and European musicians, but no Canadians." So, I got a beautiful offer to come and play there that the next year and do workshops and sound healing, and I got offers the year later. And through that, I landed in alignment where, with where I was meant to be, and I got an invitation to, to, to headline a beautiful concert in Sweden the following year. So I guess what I'm saying is, <clears throat> you know, I know what I'm saying is, is that um, when we are in alignment with what is true for us, and we get out of our own way i believe fully in the power of synchronicity i call it the ways and means com- committee mm. if i just mm. let go and i put it out there the divine will bring me what's my highest and best because you know i through creating my own music um it wasn't you know i had some really amazing experiences um in theater and musical theater in Canada, but it wasn't until I started writing my own words and taking on the ma- off the mask of other characters that was actually scary for the first year or two. When I stood up on a stage and was me without a costume or a character, it took me a few years to kind of find the plumb line of who I was and to be really comfortable in being that. But when I really began to own that and live it, I could feel that, that mother energy, because that's really what I bring through is this, um, energy from the earth through my feet. When I sing, it's funny. Somebody once said that when I sang theater and musical theater, it was kind of from the neck up. But when I started to birth my own songs, they could, they said you stood differently and I can actually feel your songs were rooted in your womb and they were coming up like right from the, the belly of you through your heart. So I think that, that's what began taking me around the world and that's what took me to the Women Economic Forum in India and Costa Rica and different places and I love to travel. So I really feel like the doors began to really open when I owned the authenticity of who I am.
0: Hmm. Wonderful. On that, we would love to play a track of yours um, if you want to have just a brief intro before uh, I'll meet you there.
2: Oh, beautiful Ah, And what a beautiful um, choice on that note from the stories I just shared, because at the time that I wrote this song, I was really vibing and being inspired by the poetry of Rumi. So this was inspired by his uh, poem that speaks to the field, out beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing. There's a field, I'll meet you there. And I was influenced by the work of Byron Katie, Who talks about untying the knots of the stories we compose in our own minds? Um, And also uh, the Dalai Lama, who said very beautifully, Love is simple and love is kind. So it was kind of all of those things, Rumi and Katie and the Dalai Lama, that wove into this song.
0: Wonderful. This is I'll Meet You There from Pamela Durand.
3: Take every tear That you ever made me cry Turn them inside out Fill my heart with light Oh, I'd see all the knots we tied The times we didn't see eye to eye The story made us blind Love is simple Love is kind be beyond the struggle Between my wrong and your right There's a field Filled with light I'll meet you Could take every tear That I ever made you cry Turn them into stardust Fill your heart with light Loosen all the knots we tied Look you right in the eye The truth we'd find Love is simple, love is kind I'll be beyond the struggle between my wrong and your right The tangle of this tug of war, this long dark night of forgiveness, filled with light. I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there. you, I'll meet you, I'll I'll meet you there.
1: Scott? Yes, Scott. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Hello.
0: We have returned. Vijay, were you? Uh, were you in a, a trance-like state by that? Those that beautiful song. I, I, I
1: actually couldn't hear the the song played now, but I I listened to it before because the the feedback doesn't come through the the phone.
0: Ah, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, a, a beautiful song. Thank you uh, for uh, for for sharing that. Um, And uh, could you speak a little on some of your uh, other experiences within kind of the creation of putting that album together um, that that appears on?
2: Uh, Well, it was an alchemy as well. Um, When I think about the creation of that that record, The Sound of the Dove, uh, I began in One Direction, and working with a producer actually in the states and you know it it was exactly what it needed to be because uh, i didn't end up finishing the record with the producer i started with and it's fascinating because the the you know the essence of that record which is about moving beyond um judgment and duality and moving into that moving into that field of of love and trust and faith and you know higher consciousness um i was really resisting the fact that it it wasn't aligning in the first direction i was going in but i was kind of in for a penny in for a pound been doing these big long commutes and had invested a huge amount of money but my gut was telling me no this is not the right fit music's not going in a direction uh you you want it to go in and but the other part of me was like no you've invested so much you've got to carry on and you've just got to suck it up finish it and it actually um became so uncomfortable to the point where um driving back one of the trips that i was commuting my fairly new car ended up having a knock in the engine and it was a you know a an 11 hour drive and the car ended up by the time I got home having a complete engine failure and uh, you know, I lost another $20,000 in losing the car. It was just the, you know, I had to have like the two by four and then the the brick wall experience to have me go to the full stop where I knew I had to let the direction go. And uh, I took every tear that I shed in the realization that I had to pivot and what ended up happening was in the conversation that i had uh, with the producer at that time i contacted a strength and a truth in my voice that i've never had before um, and i spoke truth to power and truth to authority as a woman as an artist as a soul like i i stood up for myself because he uh, brought through some pretty strong, uh, statements of shame and blame and, you know, uh, his own stuff uh, as own ego stuff. Anyways, it ended up being an amazing experience because I let it go and I let it be an experience that I just put into the category of, um, you know, fertilizer for the greater good And I'm really grateful that I have a partner. My husband was like, you know, you're just going to move on. And it sat fallow for about six months, and I was guided to another producer in Canada who brought in the most incredible musicians. And it ended up being one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in the studio. And that song that you listen to, you know, it's a full band record. But my producer, Mark LaLama, had me stand in front of the microphone and imagine the person that I'd written that song for. And, you know, it was literally in two takes. And I, lit- I was weeping by the end of singing it. And it feels like one of the most um, intimate and true experiences I've ever had in the studio. Because the studio can be... um a bit of a strange experience without having an audience you know you really have to close your eyes and go within and pull from the deepest part of yourself so uh, to me that song i'll meet you there was one of the most pure experiences of of reaching in and and um contacting my soul voice that i've that i've ever had that i could bring to the listener um the depth of the love that we feel when our heart has broken wide open to the suffering and it carries us forward to the place where we can meet each other broken and wide open and just stand there in the light of that field where we meet each other again and let that love bring us back to each other yeah
1: so beautiful thank you thank you um, also, I want to ask you about the, your, are sound movie. You're currently working on a book of poetry, Wild Echo. If you speak just a few minutes about that, about how you're able to bring all this wealth of knowledge, experience, insight, and bring it into, like, um, the poetry. I mean, obviously, you're writing the songs, but it's different. I think, what is the difference between, you know, kind of publishing a book of poetry and you know, trusting the audience to, to hear the sounds? They are needed, you know, for their healing.
2: <clears throat> yes. Well, yeah. Um, you, it, it's interesting because people ask me what's the, you know, the difference between a poem and a song. And, and I, I kind of say, well, it's like talking about the difference between my children, you know, my daughter and my son, you know, <laughs> Um, they, they're, you know uh, a, a kind of a different animal and yet at the same time when when i think about the the art form it comes from the same place but there's a different rhythm and cadence and quality to a poem than a song um and obviously a different format and and delivery method um but it's interesting because i have really over the past few years been finding that it's more the poems that are finding me. I haven't written a song for a couple of years, but i'm i re- I'm writing poems all the time now so um it's kind of different but the same. I don't know if that makes any sense it's um to me i'll say it I'll say it like this i um, i I read this somewhere that I loved art is love made public, and to me uh love is, you know, when I, when I bring something to life through me, whether it's a song or a poem, um, it's, it's me having the courage to allow that inspiration to flow and for me to kind of eavesdrop it on it and bring it to the page and bring it to the page in the, um, the way that I can feel the truth of it the most deeply that then the listener or the reader will as well in that bringing the personal experience to the universal. So so working on this Thank book it. of poetry for the past few years, it feels like it's been a, a deeper distillation of this love as art made public um, because in some ways, having.